Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, why should we be ashamed? In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the Bible says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. As we talked about this morning during Sunday school, Paul's epistle to the Romans was written to a group of Christians living in the city of Rome to encourage them amidst great persecution. Rome saw Christianity as just another form of Judaism, and they did not like the Jews, and they persecuted the Jews every chance they got, and they would have these campaigns where they would expel them from cities and drag them away from their homes and force them to leave everything behind. Rome had done this in the city of Rome many times, and we find Aquila and Priscilla were among those who had previously been expelled from Rome, where Jews and Christians were routinely expelled from their homes. And Paul met them, found out about the Christians in Rome, and so he wanted to encourage the Romans. He wanted to encourage the believers in Rome, the Christians in Rome, the faithful in Rome. And so Paul's encouragement to the Romans is found here in the book of Romans, and it is built on reminding them and what they believed and how great our God truly is. He's going to remind them what they believed in. He's going to remind them of their salvation. He's going to remind them of their transformation, God's grace. And so it makes perfectly good sense that the book of Romans centers on the gospel. The gospel reminds us of our reason. It reminds us of our why. Why do we do the things we do? Why do we believe the things that we believe? Why do we practice the way that we practice? Why are we willing to endure things? The gospel reminds us of our why. It gives purpose to our adversity. It gives us purpose in knowing that the things that we are going through right now, it has a purpose. It has a greater purpose, a transformational purpose. And not only a transformational purpose in our lives, but the things that, is, that are going on in the world right now, God is using those to bring about his kingdom and to bring his son back into this world where he'll reign for eternity. It gives us hope for the future. We're looking forward to that day that he establishes his kingdom. And that's why Paul said in Romans 1.11, For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that you may be established. Paul wants to encourage the Romans that they would be established, that they would be confirmed, that they would be strong in their faith. And in verse 15, he says, So as much as in me is... I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Paul wanted to see the Roman church established. He wanted to see the Roman church faithful. He wanted to see them encouraged. He wanted to see them hopeful. He wanted to see them built up and made strong. And to accomplish that, he would preach the gospel to people who had already believed the gospel. He would preach the gospel to people who were already saved. And why would he do this? Why is Paul's go-to when he's talking to people who are enduring persecution, people who are enduring hardship, people who are enduring hard times, why does he go to the gospel? Why is that the encouragement? And his answer is in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The three things that we will look at from this passage this morning. First of all, that Paul was ready to preach the gospel 
because he was not ashamed of the gospel. Secondly, that Paul was not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believes. And thirdly, God's power of salvation is accessible to all who believe. So let's talk about this concept of being ashamed. The Apostle Paul said that he was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Ashamed. It means to be disappointed. Ashamed means to be left shortchanged. Ashamed means to be left humiliated or cheated. Someone got something over on you and they know they got something over on you and they, they, they got the victory over you and there's nothing you can do about it. You feel like an idiot. That's what it means to be ashamed. To be ashamed means you gave up something and you didn't get anything in return, at least not of comparable value. It means you realize you've been cheated and you have no course, no recourse. That's what it means to be ashamed. And the Apostle Paul said that he was not ashamed of the gospel. The Apostle Paul did not feel as if he had lost anything in his conversion or that his life dedicated to the spread of the gospel was some big sacrifice that he had made that had this big cost associated with it. And think about what all the Apostle Paul gave up. The Apostle Paul went to the school of Gamaliel. He was one of the most highly educated men of his day. He had gone to some of the most exclusive institutions of higher education. He had a career in the Sanhedrin among the Pharisees. He was upward bound. He was going to be somebody. He had a political career ahead of him. He was raised in a life of privilege. His, his father had ways and means and was able to help him advance in his career. I mean, the Apostle Paul, before he came to know Jesus Christ, he had a life. And when he trusted the Lord as his Savior, he lost that life. The Pharisees turned their backs on him. He lost his career in the Sanhedrin. His degree was no longer any good when it came to being able to leverage it for solid employment. I mean, his family turned their backs on him. They likely had a, held a funeral and declared him to be dead. And here you have Paul who has gone from being a Pharisee of the Pharisee, a Benjamite of the Benjamites, and suddenly he has nothing. He's a traveling preacher living on the free will offerings that others are willing to give him. And so he has made a lot of heavy sacrifices, yet he says, I am not ashamed. I don't feel like I've been left out. I don't feel like I have lost anything. In fact, he goes so far as to say in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, he says, Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung. Think about that for a second. That I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. The Apostle Paul says, yeah, I lost everything. And I counted his loss. I gave it up. I walked away from it. I left it behind. He said, but it ain't nothing. What I lost ain't nothing. And I willingly gave it up that I might win Christ, that I might come to a more thorough understanding of the Lord, that I may know my Lord more deeply. The Apostle Paul wrote in another place that I may know him, that I may know the grace, the, the love, the forgiveness, the redemption, the power of his suffering and his resurrection. Paul wants to experience that power. And because he knew the value of the gospel, because he knew exactly what he was given in the gospel, he didn't feel like he had lost a single thing. No Christian 
should ever be ashamed of the gospel. And what I mean by that is none of us should feel like we've lost in some great transaction. That the price that we have paid is more than the blessing we have received. We should never feel shortchanged. Oh, we talk about how hard the Christian life can be. We talk about all the suffering, all the things. You know, we look at others with their lands and gold. We have lost nothing. We have lost nothing. If we feel that the price of our faith has been too great, then it means that our affections are still on the things of earth. Our main desire should be that of Paul's should be to win Christ, to experience the righteousness that comes, not by our own ways, our own actions, our own legalistic things, but the righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. God put Adam and Eve on this world, on this earth, put them in the garden. And he said, everything that's in this garden is all yours. You can eat as much of this fruit as you want, you can eat it till you're full, and when you're full, you can keep eating. It's paradise. No hardship, no hard labor, whatever you want, it's yours. Except this tree in the middle, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God told them, I want you to trust me and to believe me and to follow my lead. You can have all the trees of the garden as much as you want. Just don't eat of this one. And when Adam, and, that, and that's always been the test. That has always been the test. The test is whether or not we believe God. The test is whether or not we trust God or whether we want to be in charge ourselves. That is the great struggle. And when Adam and Eve ate of that fruit, it wasn't that they were deceived into thinking it was a good grocery item. It wasn't that they were deceived in thinking it was highly nutritious. They were deceived in thinking that if they ate this fruit, they could control their own destiny and get out from underneath God's authority. And that was a lie. But they challenged God's authority. That was the sin. That's why they were expelled from the garden. When it comes to righteousness, all God requires is that we trust him. And when we trust him, he sees that as righteousness. And that's what we should strive for. We should strive for the ability to trust him in all things. And when we trust him, he sees that as righteousness. When we trust him to get us into heaven because Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, he sees that as righteousness. When we trust him that we're going to enter into his presence when we die, he sees that as righteousness. That's what God wants from us. That's all he requires is that we trust him. When it comes to trusting him, when it comes to believing the gospel, we have not lost a single thing. Therefore, we should never be ashamed. We should never feel cheated. We should never feel shortchanged. I could have been a Major League Baseball player if I hadn't become a preacher. You got the better end of the deal. Baseball careers, they fade quickly. Eternal life does not. You got the better end of the deal. Paul wasn't ashamed of the gospel. And Paul was not ashamed of the gospel because he understood that the gospel is the power of God into salvation. The word power means dunamis. It comes from the Greek word dunamis. That word dunamis means a miraculous power, okay? When you say the word power, it can mean authority. Authority, influence. The, we, learn, we learn in business school that power is the ability to influence others to act. 
all right, that's exousia power. That's, that's authority power. The power we're talking about here in Romans chapter 1 is miraculous power. This is the power to turn water into wine. This is the power to heal the paralytic. This is the power to cast out a demon. This is the power to feed the multitudes on meager provisions. I'm talking about the loaves and the fishes. Brother Ron used to say that Jesus fed 5,000 with a couple of sardines and some saltine crackers. That's miraculous power. That's miraculous power. That's the power we're talking about in the gospel. The gospel is the miraculous power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes. And the gospel, the gospel is by definition, if you examine what it is, the gospel is a miracle. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins according to the scriptures. That is a miracle. The virgin birth is a miracle. The Holy Spirit came upon Mary and formed within her the Son of God. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. It's never been done. Not before then, not after that. The miracle of the sinless life of Christ. You think about everything Christ faced in his time on earth. And he went through all of that. The Bible says he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He went through the same life. I mean, we think of Jesus as walking along the seashores of Galilee, making fish and loaves for everybody, and having a good old time doing all these miracles. Jesus, his ministry was a challenge of three and a half years that he walked this planet as a minister, as a rabbi, as a teacher, as the Messiah, as the Son of God, that was a challenge. But now build on top of that the challenge of the first 30 years of his life. He was working as a carpenter. He was working the same life you and I do. He had the same struggles. He's got to make his bills. He's got to earn money. He's got to deal with difficult customers. I mean, he lived the same life we do without sin. That's a miracle. If I can get through a day without getting angry, that's a miracle. Jesus went through an entire life without sin. That's a miracle. That's the miraculous power of God. The miracles Christ performed on this earth. The water and the wine. The feeding of the 5,000. The healing of the paralyzed man by the pool of Bethesda. His telling the man who was lowered down through the roof, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins have been forgiven you. He forgave his sins. That's a miracle. He healed him that he could rise and walk again. That's a miracle. It's all miraculous. The miracle of Christ hanging on that cross, receiving the wrath of God on our behalf for our sins. That's a substitution. We deserve to be on that cross. That's what the thief said to the other thief. He said, do you not fear God? We deserve to be here, but this man has done nothing amiss. And he turns and looks at the Lord and says, Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. The fact that Christ hung on that cross, not deserving to be there, hanging there in our place, receiving the wrath of God on our behalf and taking the punishment for the sins of the world upon himself, that, brothers and sisters, is a miracle. And then when it was done, he said, it is finished. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he gave up the ghost and he willed himself out of the body and into the hands of God. That's a miracle. He rose again the third day. Now, I shouldn't have to preach to y'all how somebody coming back from the dead is a miracle. That, that should just be common sense. That's a miracle. And then the miracle of his return, he's coming back. Paul gave up everything in life. But what he received was a miracle. And we received a miracle as well. Your salvation is a miracle. What Jesus Christ did on the cross to purchase your salvation, that's a miracle. 
his resurrection, conquering graves, so that you can look forward to eternal life in heaven. That's a miracle. The fact that an evangelist was brought into your path to share the gospel with you at the exact right moment that you were ready to receive it, that's a miracle. Sometimes he did that multiple times. That's a miracle. It's a miracle. Your salvation is a miracle. Just in and of that, we have enough. But we have more than enough, don't we? There's not a single one of us in here that's starving to death. Now, some of us have less than others. Some of us are living on food pantries, and some of us are eating steak. I'm not going to say which is which. I'm not eating steak. Although Jessica's been finding some good deals on pork lately. I digress. But we're all fed. We're all sheltered. We're all provided for. And if we're not, if you're struggling, if it's bottomed out for you, you have a church family that if they know your need, they'll come through for you. We don't wake up every day thinking that today is going to be the day I starve to death. We don't wake up every day thinking that today's the day the stormtroopers are going to come through my village and kill me. We wake up every day with a reasonable expectation that we're going to have a reasonably mundane, if not good day, and then we're going to be back in our beds tonight, our warm beds. We have that. Isn't that, I mean, that's a miracle. Isn't that amazing? God's blessed us. He's blessed us. He has done all of this. We should never feel ashamed. We should never feel left out. We should never feel like we got the sword into the stick. We should trust the Lord. Do you trust the Lord? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. The miraculous power of salvation is accessed by faith. If faith simply means you trust the Lord, you have a deep-rooted trust in the Lord. Faith is believing that Jesus Christ paid for your sins on the cross and that you have been forgiven. I was talking to a man this week. He had known that Jesus died on the cross. He had known that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. He had known that Jesus went to the cross to redeem us and to bring us into heaven. He said only till recently has it been personal that he realized that Jesus went to the cross for him. That Jesus loved him enough to go to the cross for him. That's faith. It's trusting not only that Jesus did it for everybody else, but trusting I'm in that number. And trusting that he personally died for me so that I personally can go into heaven. That's trust. That's faith. It's a deep-rooted trust and a conviction, and it accesses God's grace and his salvation. Romans 5, verses 1 and 2 say, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Josh locked his keys out of his car this week. Don't worry, Josh. I tell plenty of embarrassing stories on myself, too. Um, some of which y'all wish I wouldn't tell. Josh wishes I wouldn't tell this one. It's an, it's an honest mistake. You see, because I have this tendency to check the door every time I leave the house. I get my car running. Then I lock the door. I run back and I check the door. And I, I always, almost always have locked it. I influenced Josh. And so Josh went to go check the front door. His car door sl- shut behind him. Car's locked. Keys are in the ignition. Car's running. Josh has this perfectly fine Ford Focus. It's a car that he loves dearly. It takes him where he wants to go. He is like so thankful for this car. I mean, I have, I mean, I have never seen a kid so happy with a vehicle as Josh in this Ford Focus. And it's just amazing. It's been an amazing gift. 
and it's a great car, and it runs well, it's there. He can't access it. He can't access it because he doesn't have the key. Well, he's got a beautiful house there. Josh can't access the house because he had locked the door, and the key to the house is locked inside the focus. Josh has this amazing car and this amazing house, and he can't access either one because he doesn't have the key to either one. So he calls me at work. And I was so thankful because I was tired of being in the office. <laughs> Sorry, guys, I have to go save my son. <laughs> I have the key that accesses the house. In the house is the spare key that accesses the car. We were able to access the blessings because we had the key that accesses the blessings. And what Romans teaches us, especially in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, is that faith is the key that accesses God's grace. It is the key that accesses God's salvation. It is the, the, the blessing is there, the salvation is there, the atonement is there, the forgiveness is there, the grace is there, it's all there. If you don't have the key, you can't access it. That key is faith, it's trusting the Lord. In verse 17, going back to Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writes, because the gospel is the power of God into salvation to everyone that believes, it's the power of God into salvation. How do you access that power? You have that key, that faith, that unlocks it for you, that gets you in there. On that note, in verse 17, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. What is the righteousness of God? The righteousness of God is that he's never wrong. The righteousness of God is that his motives are never impure the righteousness of God is that everything he does is good and everything he does is with good intention and everything he does is for the benefit of others he's a righteous God there's no hidden motivations there's no secret evil there's, there's no demented pleasure that he takes in seeing the sufferings that we go through in this world he's righteous and the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel you see God had a law do not eat of this fruit God's law mainly is do not rebel against me Follow me. Trust me. And if you don't, then you have to die. That sounds severe, but he's our creator. He gave us life. He shaped us. He formed us in his image. He blessed us. Is that not worth honor? Is that not worth obedience? I mean, we wouldn't be here. He wouldn't have, if, if not for God, he wouldn't have created us. We wouldn't even be here. Do you like existing? I kind of do. But man violated that law. We rebelled against him. We cursed our creator. We fought against him. We denied his existence, if not verbally, then through our actions. Yet God, in his grace, instead of, instead of destroying us, instead of wiping everything out and starting all over, God came in the form of a man, Jesus Christ, and he took the consequences and the punishment for our sin and rebellion upon himself. The punishment being satisfied, he rose again to give us eternal life. I can't think of anything more righteous than that. You broke it, I'll fix it. 
I can't think of anything more righteous than that. And this faith to faith, that is faith from the moment that you trusted the Lord to salvation to the faith that you have now, to the faith that you will have, till the faith that you will have when you enter into his kingdom. You see, as your faith goes, as you move from faith to faith, as you level up, you will come to a deeper understanding of the gospel. You will come to understand the righteousness of God better because you will gain a deeper understanding of the gospel, which is why Paul used the gospel to encourage the believers at Rome. The more they understood the gospel, the deeper understanding they had of the gospel, the more they would understand the grace and the love and the blessing God had upon them, and the stronger they would be in their faith. And this faith drives our life. He concludes verse 17 by quoting an Old Testament scripture that says, The just shall live by faith. God is good. God is love. God gave his life, gave us life. Then he gave his life so that he could give us eternal life. There are a lot of things we can say in the scriptures, a lot of things we can teach from the scriptures, a lot of concepts, a lot of doctrines, a lot of dogmas, a lot of different nuggets that we find but if we allow these things to distract us from the gospel, we're missing the point of it altogether. We stand before God guilty because we're sinners. But those of us who know him as Savior stand before him guiltless because he's paid the fine, he's paid the penalty on our behalf. And that's worth our faith and our obedience. And the more we understand that and the deeper of an understanding we have of that, the deeper our faith will be, the stronger we'll be in our faith, and the more peace we will find in our lives.